Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our visitors and everybody who's here. It's a good day. So thank you, brother, for that uh, that opening. The power of love, the power of compassion is uh, is truly amazing. It all points back to God's love for us and his heart for us. So I'd like to open with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you. We lift up your name. We bless you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this um, opportunity to come together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you give us revelation this day of your word, of your will, your heart, um, that your spirit would work in us for your kingdom and your glory. Bless this time here. Keep us all in your care. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So um, I've been working through First um, John, and we are at chapter 4 this morning. So the last message I had was, uh, was about love. There's a lot about love in First John. Uh, walking in love, it's the life calling of every, every Christian, every follower of Christ. <clears throat> so last time I ended with verse 24, with verse 23. Um, but I want to start with verse 24 of chapter 3 this morning. Um, <clears throat> this morning I'm going to be talking about um, the Spirit. And here he gives a warning about not believing every spirit. In other words, discerning the spirits in our lives, the spirits that, uh, that come up, that are around us, that show up, um, that, that we are bound to face in our Christian walk. <clears throat> So starting in uh, verse 24 of chapter 3. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. By the spirit whom he has given us. And now he says he who keeps his commandment. He's talking about the command uh, in just the previous verses. He's talking about the command to love one another. Primarily, John, when John is talking about the commands and he says one time and again, he brings it back to the command to love one another. That's the, that's the supreme command. Those who keep his commandments abide in him and he in them. And this is how we know he is in us by the spirit whom he has given us. <clears throat> so... How do we know He is in us? By the Spirit He has given to us. Okay, so His Spirit. God gives His Spirit in different measures to different people, to different believers. Um, it's, it, it comes in measures. And I believe it's, it's largely a result of a person's hunger about how much a person seeks Him, how much a person... Uh, how much we want. It comes down a lot to what we want. But people have different measures, receive different measures of the Spirit, different outpourings, if you will. Um, if I'm honest, <clears throat> um, I often feel like there's a lot 
there's more there's there's a lot more than i i feel like i've received in the spirit um, i often pray for a deeper filling i often pray for a greater anointing i continually pray for that and uh, but at the same time i'm, I'm i don't I, I try not to lose heart because i haven't felt the same experience i haven't had the same experience someone else has I think it's an, okay, it's an okay place to be. And I'm resolved to continue to seek Him, to continue to seek His heart, to seek His spirit, to seek to know Him in a more deeper, in a more personal way. That's my heart. That's what, that's what I want with my life. One of the most dangerous places to be is where we think we have all the answers. I believe one of the most dangerous places for us to be is where we think we have it all. We've now received it all. Because God is so vast. He's so above, so far above what we could ever attain to. How can we ever, um, how can we ever exhaust or experience all that he has and all that he wants for us? <clears throat> okay, how do we know? So the question is, the first question is, how do we know um, and how do we see his spirit, the whole, how do we know that the Holy Spirit abides in us? Okay, and I, and I believe there are several ways. It's not just a one-word a one answer. Um, we know by experiencing His peace, the love, feeling the love, the cleansing forgiveness, and His conviction and working in our lives. Those are signs of God's spirit. That's God's spirit working in us, in a person. We also know when he reveals his word to us through scripture. Uh, one of the ways I've heard that the, in the early church, uh, one of the ways they, or the, the early Anabaptists, the early Hutterites, uh, one of the ways the early Anabaptists, they were, they were asking people, they were wondering if people um, were converted. One of the ways was, has, one of the questions they asked, has the word become alive to you? Has the word become alive to you? Do you, do you feel, do you, do you get revelation through your word, through the word of God, through reading the word of God? And I believe those are all signs that, um, that we are, that we have received, received his spirit. Um, and ultimately, one of the greatest signs, tests of the presence of the spirit is, uh, is a changed life. It's a life that has changed. A life that is truly changed. A life where the desires of a person have changed. We can, we can all, most of us have the willpower to change outwardly. To look different, to dress different, to act different to an extent. But we don't have the strength to change our heart. We don't have the ability to change our heart and our desires. And I believe if, if, if our heart, our desires have changed, then that's the work of the Spirit. That's the work of God. And that will, it will, it has to reflect into a life, a visible life that's changed. It has to reflect into that. <clears throat> so you can have a life that looks good on the outside and is not. But you cannot have a life 
that is good on the inside, that is changed, the heart that's changed on the inside, but doesn't look good, but looks terrible outside. This could be for a very young Christian for a short period of time, but ultimately that fruit has, that life has to come out and it has to show. And if it doesn't come out, it's either dying. The life that is there is either dying, it's dead, or it's, it's not there. There's, there's, it's gone. There's something wrong. It has to show. It has to be become visible. <clears throat> so a changed life, someone who is changed from serving and loving this world, serving and loving themselves, to someone who is changed to serving others and loving others. One of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, signs is love. And again and again, it comes back in, in First John. He come, he brings back to love. He brings it back to love. <clears throat> so, if you read, uh, if you read of the saints that have gone before us, one of the marks of the great men of God is that they had a continuous desire for a deeper and a greater filling of filling of filling of the Spirit of Christ. A desire for a deeper walk with God and to abide in His presence. To learn to abide in Christ, to walk every day. That, that was, that's their desire. The great men of God, if you read the stories, if you read, uh, read a lot of the books, um, the continuous desire for more of Him, and that also equates into putting our flesh to death. Putting our own flesh, our own desires, putting them to death. It's a, it's a double, it's a two-step process. It's more of him and less of us. Okay, as long as, as long as we are in the way, the spirit cannot grow in us. Okay, we often hear talk about uh, an outpouring of the spirit in, in a person's life. And I, I believe it's a beautiful gift to receive an outpouring of the spirit. Um, and it's often, yes, it's often followed by speaking in tongue, tongues. It happened in the book of Acts uh, several times. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God where, when he pours out his spirit on someone or on a group of people. And it can happen and it, it does happen. And it is a gift of God. <clears throat> Um, after talking to people and, uh, and observing people for a few years, um, you know, I, I say, you know, seek it, desire it, but don't look for an experience. Don't run after the excitement. Seek Christ. Seek to become more and more into the image, grow more and more into the image of Christ. To be Christ-like in every situation, to walk continually in His presence—that's the altar. That's what, the, what. That's what the filling of the Spirit is is about. It's us walking in the Spirit. It's God's present, God's presence with us, walking with us. That's the ultimate goal of a Spirit-filled life. It's not miracles. It's not. Speaking in tongues, it's not a passing experience. That's not the goal. Those things can all happen. And I believe they do. But 
it's to be Christ-like. That is the ultimate goal. To be made Christ-like. And the, Spirit's help, and the Spirit helps us in this. The Spirit gives us the ability to do that, to walk in that way. <clears throat> the goal is to walk and live continually in the will of God. And I happen to know that, that this, this experience will not suddenly take care of all your problems. God gives us His Spirit to help us as the Comforter. He gives us a new heart. Instead of a heart of stone, He gives us a heart of flesh with a desire and a longing after Him. But we still have to make our daily choices. We still have to make these steps, to, to take these steps to follow Him. He doesn't, God never takes people and turns them into robots that follow Him. God isn't going to take you one day and flip a switch for you, and now all you're ever going to want to do is serve Him and follow Him and do good. That's not going to happen. God is looking for a free will, people who choose, people who love Him, and because of their love for Him, they seek after Him. That's God's heart for a people. To surrender our own will to His, to keep our eyes and desires on Him, to daily choose to surrender ourselves to the brethren, to our brethren. The biggest problem is still going to be ourself, our pride, our personal hang-ups. It's going to come up again. Our self isn't dealt with that easily. So John chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> so we started with... Uh, by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. John 4, chapter, verse 1, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He says, believe not every spirit. And consider for a minute, that, consider that this was written about 50 or 60 years after Christ died. And here, maybe it was longer. Um, he lived to be quite old. But <clears throat> he said, believe not every spirit. And if this was a concern, even shortly after, like 50 years after the time of Christ, how much more is that, is that now? How much more of a challenge can we expect today? How much more has the devil... Uh, worked on his techniques and his deceptive ways over all these years. He's warning against false spirits coming through many false prophets. So everything God has, everything God does, for everything God has, the devil has, makes a counterfeit for, even with the Holy Spirit. There's a counterfeit out there. There are many counterfeits out there. And what's a counterfeit? A counterfeit is something that looks like the real thing. It might smell like the real thing. It might taste like the real thing. It might look everything like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. It's a fake. And that, that's a counterfeit. And if there's many spirits out there that are counterfeit, that are wrong, that are deceptive, their goal is not to help us. These spirits will not help us grow. They will not... Um, they will not help us in our end to reach, to reach eternity. 
to reach a blessed eternity, but they will work for destruction. So, <clears throat> do not believe every spirit. <clears throat> Everything, um, hold on. So, if there are many, how do we know we have the true and the right one? Um, we, can start, we can start by looking at the fruit. What are these spirits producing? What is the spirit inside you producing? What fruit? So let's start with, do we have the true spirit? And the first question, we, Jesus said, you should know them by their fruit. Look at someone's fruit if you want to know where they're from and what they're made of. Um, so the first thing we can do is we can look at ourselves. Okay, are we producing good fruit? It's always a good challenge. Um, it's always something that we should examine in our lives. <clears throat> but it's, I want to take a minute to talk about how, how we often react to, uh, to talking about the Spirit. And it's not, it's not all unmerited. It's quite common for, in our Anabaptist background to react to anything about the Holy Spirit in a negative way. So for the Anabaptist groups as a whole, um, they, don't, they generally don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit because of the negative, negative experiences they've had throughout the years. Um, one of the fundamentals that sets the Anabaptist faith apart is that you will be known by your fruit. So generally, Anabaptists, this is, this is one of the fundamentals. Um, the view is generally, generally this. Don't, don't tell me what you believe. I don't, I don't really want to hear what you believe. Just show me. To the point where in a lot of groups you, you end up having people who, who hardly ever talk about their faith. And, uh, and that, that creates problems in itself. Because a lot of times faith, faith should be, has to be talked about. How do your children learn? How, how do you pass it on? By talking and by living. There's a, and I'm slightly, I'm exaggerating a little bit here to make a point. But in general, um, the Anabaptists kind of are, are quite leery of things like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, because every few years in, in almost every Anabaptist church, you have some visitors coming and, and occasionally you have some people some brothers or sisters receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they get very excited with their newfound revelation. And it can, these people often feel that they've received a life-changing revelation. And it's the greatest thing they've ever experienced. And it probably, it probably was. It probably is sometimes. But usually it's received with great skepticism by many of their brothers and sisters. And many of their brothers and sisters are very leery of getting close or getting, getting involved with this. They're just, okay, eh, this, this, is, this is probably not good. I mean, I'm glad it's, it's working for you, but this is probably not good. And more often than not, several, several families and young people are drawn to the movement and uh, they follow some leader 
who usually is very whoever usually has a very charismatic way of speaking, and they generally um, put very little or no emphasis on works, on uh, and believe that the filling of the spirit is everybody's answer, is the answer to everybody's problems. And I'm generalizing a lot. Okay, so don't. <clears throat> um, and if everyone could just be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the Spirit and His leading like we do, then all the struggles, all the blacks, all the backsliding, and all their lukewarmness and their issues would be taken care of. But it's it's not the way it works. In a few months to a year, sometimes longer, the excitement wears off. The miracles, the healings, the speaking in, to in tongues, in the the the. The miracles and the healings and the speaking in tongues, that may all have happened. It might be true, maybe, and it could have even been a work of God. But it still takes a daily surrender, a daily sacrificial life, a daily surrendering of your own heart, of your own desires, a continuous journey of walking in love and humility. And uh, sadly, by the time a lot of people realizes they've left their church, their friends, and uh, they've burned all the bridges, and they've repeatedly declared that those those who've not, who who don't who don't accept their message are just legalistic and and hopelessly lost. And a lot of times they've they've also decided that uh, what a man looks like or who they associate. <clears throat> Who they associate with, what they wear, what they do on the week during the week doesn't matter at all, because in their short journey they meet these people who uh, they meet these spirit-filled people who who spoke in tongues and and they look just like everyone else in the world, and they're they're thinking if these people are spirit-filled and are speaking in tongues and they're getting revelations and dreams, um, how how can how can how can all this stuff have anything to do with it? Because they don't practice anything. They don't practice head covering. They don't practice. Um, they don't. Um, they don't. They, they look just like the rest of the world. Some people even receive the outpouring of the spirit the, the same day they become Christians. So that, that they assume that this outward stuff, that the things that of the, the practices of a lot of the Anabaptist faith, that stuff all doesn't matter. It's just legalistic baggage. Let's just get rid of all that. And they, they think they're free and they're filled with the Spirit and they can't go wrong if they're filled with the Spirit. But they can go wrong. And they do. And it doesn't matter how emphatically someone declares that they are living by the Spirit every day. No matter how much they speak in tongues, no matter how many visions they receive, they are susceptible to being deceived. And that's why most Anabaptist churches respond to people who talk about the Holy Spirit and, and speaking in tongues with a critical eye. They kind of back off a little bit. They usually react negatively and start immediately warning. Because most of the time, there is an attention. There's a, there's a past experience that this church has had with this. 
<clears throat> they remember the last time this came through and where those people are now. And this is no joke. It's not, it's not just hypothetical. I'm, I'm under 40 and I've seen this, um, I've seen this a few times now. And the pattern is, uh, is shockingly reliable. And our young people especially should be aware of it. <clears throat> the disciples and the apostles, they were filled with the Spirit several times. It happened while Jesus was walking with them. It happened at Pentecost. It happened after Pentecost again. There was an outpouring of the Spirit. The churches they, were, they planted were filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that Paul wrote more about spiritual gifts and the working of the Spirit to the Corinthians than any other church. But he also rebuked them harsher and admonished them more than any other church. The Spirit is a helper and a comforter. He's the revealer. He's, he's the anointed one. He is Christ in us. He dwells in us. And yes, we should seek him. <clears throat> he reveals and speaks to us. He's working in us and through us. He helps us when we ask. When we feel God moving, when we see him work, we are seeing the Holy Spirit move and work. When we see God's, God's hand moving on earth today, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God working through the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was buried and he rose from the dead. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. And then the Spirit came. And the Spirit is now doing the work of God on earth. All the work of God. <clears throat> whatever's happening, everything God is doing, whatever's happening on earth, God is doing through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> um, I have two verses here I want to read. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. It says, desire spiritual gifts. Seek after these things. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show to you a more excellent way. He says, earnestly desire the best gifts. But still, then he goes into love. Paul, I show to you a more excellent way. But make sure you love. <clears throat> I actually believe many movements, many of these movements, the one I described hypothetically, um, start with the Holy Spirit, with the true Holy Spirit. But they end up taking a lot of people astray because somewhere they lose it. 
Because many people cannot discern between the spirit and uh, a lot of times cannot discern between what is the spirit and what is their emotion. It gets tricky. Because we people, humans are spiritual beings. We often have a hard time discerning between our emotions and the spirit. We get carried away with our emotions. Our emotions are, are a part of ourselves. They're, they're a part of us. We can't get rid of our emotions. Don't, don't try and live an emotionless life. It's not going to end well. Um, our emotions are a part of ourselves. But they're a part of our self-nature too. The spirit and the flesh are contrary to each other. So a lot of times our emotions are actually, the spirit has to work against our emotions. The spirit has to, uh, should control our emotions. Part of our journey is learning to put our emotions under the spirit. And uh, it a lot of times it takes maturity to discern that. When people start getting recognition and they start getting admired for being great, uh, great spiritual men and great spiritual women and they, women, um, it gets even harder. It gets even harder to, to discern. So how do we test the spirits? How do we test these spirits, whether they are of God, whether they're the true spirit or they're some other spirit? Let's read again from verse 1. So I, I, I understand I, we didn't cover a lot, of, uh, a lot of verses this morning. Um, but I feel it's important to talk about this. I feel it's an important subject. Verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. So testing spirits. If you test something... You're literally checking, doing things to check and see if it's right or wrong. If I'm running a test, I want to know if it's this or that. I'm looking for a result. But test the spirit, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. So who is this false spirit, this Antichrist that he is talking about? There are many spirits. How do we test them? <clears throat> one, of the, one of the ways, things that immediately comes to my mind when I think about spirits, is, is what Zach Poonen always said. He said, if it's the Holy Spirit working, He will make people more holy. If it's not producing holiness, it's not the Holy Spirit. So what is holy? holiness? Holiness is Christ-likeness. It's so simple and yet so profound. <clears throat> John says, verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in this world. 
I've heard a story of someone who walked up to someone, to, to someone who was supposedly uh, doing some questionable, he was preaching and he was doing some questionable things in the, supposedly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this person walked up to him and challenged him and said, challenged him to say that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So the person uh, who was preaching refused to do it. And this was taken of proof, taken as proof that this he was not he was not of the Holy Spirit. He was he was teaching a false spirit. Okay, that that probably works. Um, but I think there's probably something deeper in here um, that I want to try to dig up. What is the spirit of the Antichrist which has already come into the world? So it's commonly accepted that John was countering here a heretical teaching of the Gnostics. The Gnostics were a group of people who thought they had the knowledge, uh, Gnostic knowledge, um, of how, how everything happened and how everything worked. And if you either, you either you had this knowledge or you didn't, either you, or if you, don't, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And a few people had it. And this, this group was rising up and they were teaching that Jesus came as a spirit and not in the flesh. He was never here on earth in the flesh as a man. The idea is that the flesh is always sinful. You cannot, you can't redeem the flesh. Um, so Jesus could never have had taken on flesh because he was the sinless son of God. Um, so that was their teaching. Uh, with that background, it makes sense that John would say, this is how we should test the spirits. But um, why the strong rebuke? And why, did he, why, why was this such an issue? That they preached that Jesus only came in the spirit. What is the significance of Jesus coming in the, in the flesh? Why would, why would they say he hasn't? And maybe some of you are thinking, well, what's the difference? Big deal. Um, but the difference is the false spirit and the true spirit. So, um, so they're saying he was just a spirit when he walked on earth. So if Jesus was a spirit, if he was just a spirit, he never had to deal with his flesh. The primary challenge of Christianity is dealing and overcoming our flesh. That's, that's, our biggest, that's going to be our biggest challenge. Um, our human desires, our passions, the things of the world we love and long for. And if Jesus was just a spirit floating through this world, he would hardly have touched this world. He, he, would, he would never have really suffered. Um, would he have even felt the cross? Could Jesus die on the cross if he never came in the flesh? If he was a spirit, was there a lamb who was slain for the sins of the world? Was there a resurrection? If Jesus never had to deal with his flesh, then maybe we don't either. Does that sound familiar? Maybe we only have to make sure our spirit is okay. We're, we're right with God. We've, we've had an experience. Out of this comes, out of this teaching came the idea, the strange idea that people become a spiritual being 
and, and, and they're not really responsible for their actions, for their physical actions. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, he cannot be our high priest because he hasn't gone through what we go through. Out of, out of Hebrews 4, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all things tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us therefore, he was in all things tempted as we are. It's a powerful verse. It should really encourage us that the things we go through, Jesus went through. And he went through these things and he remained pure. He remained sinless. And we should for called to follow him. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We come to the throne of grace and we pray for his help. And he helps us. And he can give us the power to live the same way he lived. It's all available. Um, woven into this doctrine is, is the idea that you're not, you don't have to take responsibility for your sins. And what's worse is that they're denying what Christ did. They're denying the sacrifice that Christ made. <clears throat> they're denying the life, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Anyone who, den who denies that Jesus is who he said he was, he is, or said what he said is an antichrist, is antichrist. We have Christ's word. We have his teachings. If anybody comes to you and tells you this doesn't mean what it says, this means something different, you need to tread carefully. We have, we have the word of God. We have Christ's word himself. <clears throat> okay, going on to verse 4, 4 and 5. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak of the, as of the world. The world hears them, and we are of God. And he who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So here we have another way we can know. He says, you are of God, even as children, as the youngest believers. We have his promises and his strength working in us. Greater is he than, who is in us than he who is in the world. And he says, then he says, of they, them. They are of the world. They speak of the world. The world recognizes them. It accepts them. It loves them. They speak the language of the world. They look at everything through the eyes of the world. But we are of God and not of this world. Those who are of God recognize and hear others who are of God. There's a spiritual connection between believers. 
There is a connection between believers that tells us if someone is of the same spirit. If other believers are sensing something is wrong in a person, in someone, in a visitor, some, there's something that, that, that clashes, there's something that doesn't jive, something, if, if the mature believers in your life are sensing that, you need to walk carefully. If brothers you, have, you, you trust and you've walked with and that you know, um, if, if, and are believers, if they're saying be careful, you should probably steer clear. So those those are the those are the two ways he gives. So finally, um, how do we test the spirits? Test the spirits whether they are of God. How should we test them? I have a few questions here that I think are good questions to ask. Question one: Who is this spirit glorifying? Is it glorifying man or is it glorifying God? Is it pointing to Christ or is it pointing to some exciting experience? Is this spirit <clears throat> pointing to Jesus and embracing his teachings? Or is it like trying to explain some of them away? You cannot say you love Jesus and not his teachings. You can't separate the two. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. It always glorifies Jesus and God. Denying that Christ came in the flesh, it, it completely discredits Christ. It makes a mockery of the cross. Jesus' whole life becomes abstract, distant, and almost pointless. The wonder of the miracle of the cross is not, it is not that he was God, but that Jesus is God. He shows the love of God by coming as God. He showed the love of God by coming as God, living his life on earth as God who took on flesh. Like you and me, he took on the same flesh you and me have. And he became our propitiation. He became our sacrifice in our place. He was born as a real crying baby, born in a manger. As the poor child of a carpenter who couldn't even get him a place, a nice bed to be born on, to be laid on. That's how he came into the world. He took our place and paid the price for our sins. If any spirit is leaving you away from the practical teachings of Christ or away from the way of the cross, don't go there. Question two, do the believers you know and have walked with recognize this spirit? There's one Holy Spirit. If this is a true Holy Spirit, he'll be recognized by all true believers. Okay, and I, uh, we should put a lot of emphasis. If there's no people that you trust in your, if there, if there aren't people that you trust in your life, um, to, to be that, to be there, to ask those questions. That's why we have brotherhood. That's why we have the protection of brotherhood, of a church, 
that where other people can look in and say and, and give and give counsel and all help examine, help look at a situation like that. <clears throat> There's only one spirit and he, he will be recognized by all true believers. Question three, what fruit is this producing? Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Fruit is not always obvious. You know, if we go out into the apple orchard today, we won't find any fruit. Maybe an old shriveled up apple, but there's no fruit out there. All you can see is nice apple trees. They all look pretty good, not great, but we know what apple trees should look like in winter. <clears throat> um, but the fruit will come in about eight months. And then we can see sometimes fruit isn't immediately obvious. Where is it leading you? The Holy Spirit will always lead you to a cross, to the cross. It will always lead you in the footsteps of Jesus, the footsteps of Christ, a, li a Christ-like life. The Holy Spirit will always produce holiness. Question four. Is this spirit producing the fruit of the spirit, especially love? And I say especially love, and thank you for the opening. It, 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 it really strengthens this. I say especially love because write the next verse um, after this. Verse 7. The Apostle John takes us back to love. Ultimately, the sign that Jesus gave that people will know that you are his, that we are his disciples is love. John gives the same metric, love one another. <clears throat> so I want to close with that. Um, I want to, I hope this was encouraging. Um, and I just encourage you all to, to desire, seek and desire spiritual gifts. Seek after the, this fullness, this, this continuous abiding in Christ. But pursue love. Make sure it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit is there. It's coming forth at the same time. Seek to abide in Him and in His presence. So, bless you and thank you. I'd like to open it up for comments. <clears throat>